Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Southern Tomfoolery Unlimited, where we like to STFU for once and let our guests tell us all about the amazing and nerdy things going on in their lives. I'm your host, Zach Evans, joined as always by my good friend, Mr. Adam Kelly. Adam, how's it going, man? On this particular day, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am also doing great on this particular day, sir, and I am very excited for our guest today. He is an editor and developer at Paizo, an English professor, writer, Arthurian scholar, lover of chocolate milkshakes, and Starfinder ambassador. Just some of the many hats he wears, Mr. Jason Tondro. Jason, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. What a privilege. It's a delight to be here. Uh, and, and yeah, it's a really good day here, too. It yeah, is a good absolutely. day. Absolutely. Fantastic <laughs> day. Yes, yeah, so I'm so very excited. We're going to talk about some Starfinder today, but first, we wanted to get kind of a brief rundown of your history with TTRPGs. Um, I know that our good buddies over at Min Maxed went in depth with you about your first foray into creating TTRPGs with your Arthur Lives game. Um, listeners, if you haven't heard Jason's interview with Min Maxed, uh, we urge you to go check that out. It's really good. So we're going to try to ask you some different questions in the interest of not having you repeat yourself. Sure. Uh, however, we here at STF do want to hear just a brief rundown of how you came to love TTRPGs and end up at Paizo as a developer. Well, um, so the secret origin story, right? Um, right, yes. Well, uh, my first... D- my first role-playing game was the white box, the D&D white box. I didn't own it, but I was like in junior high, sixth grade. I was in sixth grade when it came out. Um, and then I bought like one of the early basic sets, not the red box, but like the one that's like a couple of versions sooner than that. And I played D&D for a long time. And then when I hit high school, I got into champions. And, um, and, and then, you know, so through high school, college, all that era, and I actually started to pitch stuff. I, I wrote some articles and I sent some submissions to role-playing publishers at the time. But we didn't have the open license, right? Like the, mm. the D20 open license hadn't happened. So I kind of felt like I had to get published by other people. Mm. Right. Well, the, the D20 license changed all that, right? And suddenly you could do it yourself. Uh, and, and increasing movements to PDF and print on demand and all of these things sort of took all the gatekeepers away. So so uh, I put out some Mutants and Masterminds and uh, D&D products on my own um, around in the, that early D20 era. But by that point, I was becoming an English professor. And that was kind of my day job, you know? And, uh, and I loved it, and I, I loved doing it, but gaming remained my hobby. And, uh, and then... After several years of teaching uh, at, at a, a small state college in rural Georgia, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of unhappy. I, I was feeling a little isolated. Uh, I'm kind of a West Coast liberal, you know, <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and, I'm, uh, and it wasn't the students and it wasn't my colleagues who were wonderful people, but I, I was just feeling kind of like maybe I had made some wrong choices along the road, you know? Mm, sure. and, Just the uh, culture, sure. the environment, yeah. not so much in academia, but on the yeah. periphery of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah we, no, we understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, a dear friend of mine who lived here in Seattle and lives, and she works for Amazon, well, she was also a former academic. She, she and I had gone to grad school together. 
but she had ended up going into she she's now working for Amazon as a science fiction fantasy comics buyer. Like she buys books, she decides what books they stock in their okay. and she wrote to me and she was like, Jason, just get out. Like <laughs> just get out. You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And uh, and she sent me the link to the job posting at Paizo, uh, which at the time they were hiring editors. They they had hired, they were hiring an editor and they were hiring an uh, organized play developer. Well, I didn't even apply for the organized play thing because I didn't have much experience with that. That sure. went to Mike Sayer, if you know Mike Sayer. Mm-hmm. Brilliant guy who's now on the Pathfinder 2 design team, which oh, shows okay. you how talented he is. Well... But I, I got the editor job. Like I interviewed for it and I took like an editorial test. And three weeks later, I'm packing up everything I own and driving to Seattle, right? <laughs> uh, which was pretty crazy. And I was an editor for about now. By this point, I, I, I had like a lot of independent freelance RPG credits by this point, right? I had like a... I had like 40 stuff on my resume. Yeah, yeah you've got a lot uh, yeah, as we were researching I, I, you, yeah, for sure. I was a writer or I was a developer or I was an editor or I was an art director or I was even a publisher, right? So I'd kind of done it all and I'd done some Kickstarters for a couple of stuff. And Anyway, um, so I was an editor for about a year and a half working under uh, Judy, uh, our amazing managing editor there. It was a fantastic team and I learned so much about the company you don't even we we play these games right but you don't really realize how the sausage gets made sure until you're in the office every day at the meetings learning about production schedules and the whole like nine month production line where between when we pitch a concept those are my dogs in the background (laughs) when we pitch a concept to when um, we ship it to China to get printed, right? Um, hold on, let me see if I can get that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the dogs uh, just want to say hi too. Yeah, you know. Now these are my dogs. So there's like Otis, uh, uh, Otis, and Miss Tessmacher here. Okay. <laughs> the, the Otis orange, immediately started wagging his tail as soon as yeah. you said his name. <laughs> The orange football is a cherished object in this house because many <laughs> Nerf toys we have bought and all of their squeakers have eventually been destroyed except yeah. for the orange football, right? It just right. remains. Yes. So anyway, <laughs> we're going to put that away. I know, I know. Anyway, um, I was an editor for about a year and a half, but and I learned a lot and I, get, I became a much better editor by the end than I was at the beginning. But it wasn't a very creative outlet right like as an editor your job is to catch mistakes and it's a lot more than just catching grammar and writing problems there's a lot Mm -hmm. more to that but that's another show like continuity and that kind of thing. yeah exactly yeah and but uh but it wasn't and i was doing a lot of freelance writing for paizo like i was writing like uh, starfinder 18 assault on the crucible at this time okay and uh and and i was contributing to a lot of our hardbacks and stuff but but I wanted to be in a creative job in my nine to five. Sure. And right. so I knew that um, Chris Sims, who was a Starfinder developer and and uh, and a wonderful man, just a huge mentor role to me, and Owen Stevens, another fantastic leader uh, in the gaming industry, they were both on the Starfinder team, and I knew they would both be leaving soon. Uh, Owen, for this job opportunity in, I think, Indianapolis, Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, 
And Chris Sims, his family was living in Austria. So I knew he was gonna, you know, he was gonna want to go home to his family, his two yeah. daughters. They, they miss him. It's where he should be. Well, so I knew that there were openings on the Starfinder team. And and I found Starfinder more compelling as a game because it didn't have that 10 years of backstory for me to, to learn. Sure. That you had to be like reined in on, right? I, I love being in on the ground floor of a new thing, right? So, and I've been playing it and I've been buying it and I, I actually have been running a weekly Starfinder game on in my home day, my home time, you know? Yeah. Anyway, um, so I... Uh, I went to Adam, or I went to Amanda, who was the manager of Starfinder at that time. And I said, listen, as soon as Chris Sims leaves, you're getting my resume on your desk. Like, you're <laughs> ready for this, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here for this job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Judy, who was my manager and editor, she was great. She was totally supportive of this. I, she's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to be a developer. She's like, okay, like, let's figure <laughs> out how to help you do that, right? It was, it's a wonderful environment. Well, anyway, so... Um, so when Sims and, and Owen left and they had two openings on the Starfinder team, well, the first one went to John Compton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John Compton's yep. been the OP developer for like eight years, right? He's developed hundreds of Starfinder adventures. Yeah. yeah. Adventures. Um, so no one was going to beat him on a resume. <laughs> Guys, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so... So they, so I was never going to get one job, but because they were hiring two, <laughs> I had a shot. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. So I, um, so I, I, we again, I interviewed. We did a development test where they send you like people might that are interested in getting into the business. I find this interesting. They send you like about eight pages of undeveloped material, like a monster and some feats and spells or whatever. Or they send you an encounter from an organized play or maybe one of our APs. Yeah. And they tell you to develop it, right? Like make it better and fix it and and catch all the problems that are wrong with it, right? And okay. My favorite bit of it was they gave me this monster. And it was basically a piece of a troll that had been chopped off and regenerated into a blob. It shows up in, <laughs> in, the, in the threefold conspiracy. And it's just basically this chaotic evil, like intelligence for man-eating blob right and, and, and okay develop this monster okay but then came the kicker and make it a playable species oh Whoa. my gosh God. yeah a piece That's cool. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, I'm like, and of course the correct answer is no like we don't yeah. want an intelligence for chaotic evil cannibalistic playable. blob as a playable race right no right. so so uh but so you know so anyway so you, 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 you do the development test, you, you go through the interview process and, and I got hired and that was about, that was a year ago in September. So it was like Gen Con of last year. Yeah. Right. And I had been a developer for about a month. Cause as soon as I got the job, I took a two week vacation. Cause I had all these, <laughs> <laughs> I had all this time. Doing it right. Yeah. yeah. I had all this time piled up, and so okay, go out. So I took my vacation. I came back, and I was back on the job for like three days. When Rob uh, McCreary came to me, and he said, "Well, it's time to start talking about the next adventure path, and it's yours because Keeley's done distinct extinction. I've uh, done a devastation arc, and also mm-hmm. before conspiracy, which he kind of took over from Sims, who was doing who did like the first half of that before he had to leave." So you're going to be the lead developer on the next adventure path. And I've been on the job, like I say, for like less than a month. <laughs> and so that was when I pitched Fly for Your Die. And and 
I've been working on that AP for pretty much a year ever nice. since. Right? Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, that brings up the speed for sure. Uh, uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, fly for your die. I think will constitute the majority of this discussion, and we are going to get into that very shortly. However, just on a more general sense, I kind of sure. wanted to get an idea. Like, what are some of your favorite aspects of either TTRPGs or Starfinder in general? Yeah, yeah. Well, these things are related because Starfinder, I think, has some unique audience and some unique appeal in the RPG space. Um, for me, okay, so we talk a lot. Remember when we were kids? Okay, I'm older than you guys. But when we when I was a kid and it was like the, the mazes and monsters era, right? When like... Mm-hmm. The PTA is all over America. Yeah. Yes. 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 As kids are getting satanic <laughs> panic, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we had to defend role playing games to our parents, and we would come up with all kinds of, ex- of of reasons for why role playing games were good. And we would say, well, they teach you math, and they help you be imaginative, and they teach you about mythology, and all of that's true. Like practically everything I know, I've learned because I had to learn it for a role playing game, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's all true, but that's not for me personally the real, the really, the really good thing about role playing games. The reason why role playing games make the world a better place is because they teach us about other people's points of view, right? Absolutely. They teach yeah. us to empathize with other people, and they teach us to cooperate and work together. Like you can't make it in D and D with just a fighter. Or, or the, just the wizard or just the cleric. Like you need the whole gang. You need the band mm. together and you can only make it through the dungeon if everybody works together and nobody is an asshole, right? Like, right, you know, right. yeah. And, and, and in our online culture, I think it's very easy for us to be mean and rude to people on, that, that we don't know. Like they're just anonymous people on the internet, right? We can troll them and we can, but when you're sitting at a table and, and you guys, you guys used to live close together, right? And now yeah, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know what I mean. When you're sitting at the table, like you can't just be a dick to the person next to you, right? Like no, right. they drove you, like they're your ride home, man. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or they they bought you pizza or whatever. Right, yeah. Right. It it's easy when you can just push a button and leave the call, but it's harder when you're there face to face with them. And and this is the secret sauce of role playing to me which is other people have spoken about this too i'm not the first person that's talked about this but chris perkins goes off about how the world would be a better place if everybody just played more dnd and he's not wrong no yeah i I think i think who needs a therapist you know and and starfinder now let's let's talk about starfinder starfinder is unique because of its incredible diversity like it in my opinion this is the fact that you can play like a hundred different kinds of crazy aliens in this game Mm-hmm. has allowed people from traditionally underrepresented groups to see themselves in Starfinder, right? Yeah, yes. And maybe it's because of their race or because of their gender or their, their faith or who knows what. Like, there's a million different ways that people feel marginalized in our society. Yeah. And, and Starfinder is like the X-Men. Like, no matter what group you were from, you could identify with the X-Men because they were the outsider. Right. Right. And yeah. whatever group you were, you were an outsider was, there, somehow. Yeah, yeah, there was an X-Men there to, to relate to. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And it's the metaphor. So 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 Starfighter is like that. And 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 to the company's credit, 
they have embraced this, right? So like our editorial team is so phenomenal at helping us make the game representative of the players so that when people come to play this game, they see in the game themselves, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's key. And and, and I, I think that's part of what makes Starfinder really special. Yeah, I mean, to kind of follow along those same lines, you know, and you've kind of touched on a little bit, you know, I've seen in social media and when yep. we, when you were hanging out with us at the online PaizoCon and everything yep. that you've often spoken about how adventure paths or TTRPGs in general have a unique opportunity to provide commentary on our society and the issues that we often have to deal with. Yeah. You know, you, you say that they can say something or that they, right. they have an ability to do that. Um, yep. Can you speak a little bit more about, you know, kind of focus in on that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, you know, we often say we and we do this ourselves in the in the in the industry. Like I've been in meetings with with my fellow developers and designers and and they'll say stuff like, look, ultimately, at the end, our game is a we make a game about killing things and taking their stuff. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> in some ways we do, but even the people that say that know that's bullshit. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I have to call shenanigans on this man, because even the people that say that know that actually what we're doing, I mean, look, behavior becomes it, it reinforces itself. If you're playing a character and you do good things as the character, this can help reinforce your own good habits in life and vice versa. Yeah. If you're playing a character who is a raging ass- asshole and and you're evil and you just you meet people and you treat them as nothing but resources for you to exploit, okay, that's wish fulfillment in the game, but maybe those are wishes we shouldn't be fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so if I go, I was also a college professor. And if I go back, if I can get academic for a minute, right? Like, forgive me for getting like all scholarly here, but back in the, in the late 1500s, this guy named Edmund Spencer, he was an Englishman. He wrote this poem called the fairy queen. Now it's a thousand pages long and almost nobody reads it anymore, but in the introduction to that poem, when he was telling the reader why I'm writing this, and he was actually writing to Sir Walter Raleigh, like Queen Elizabeth's, like what you know, one of her like favorite dudes and a pirate guy and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, and he says, look, there's basically two ways to teach. You can teach by rote, by which he means memorization. You get a professor up there, right, and they lecture at you, and you're expected to take notes and memorize it all. Mm. But the other way is by heroic example. In other words, you tell a story and the, and the person is so busy having fun listening to the story that they don't even realize that they're learning anything. Yeah. Right? yeah. And we're not talking okay. about facts. We're not talking about learning like, you know, on what day did the Spanish Armada get sunk? We're talking about how the lessons of life. Yeah. How, how should I behave? When things get hard, when life gets hard, and let's be honest, folks, life gets hard a lot, right? Sure. Life is hard. And when we're when we find ourselves in tough situations, how should I behave? Now, we have a lot of ways to answer this question. We ask ourselves, like, what would Jesus do? Right. Or what would one of our favorite role models do? What would Abraham Lincoln do? What would what would President Obama do? Like, whatever, whoever your role model is. Right. Like, and we have a million of them. 
what would my parents do? What would my mother do? Like, these are fair answers. Well, this is all leading by example. And so role-playing games are a part of that long tradition in which we play these characters, we're invited to create an alter ego, they, they are placed into difficult moral dilemmas. They're placed in difficult positions where they have to decide whether or not they're going to do what is hard or what is easy. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, doing good means doing what is hard. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's very true. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, to that, we, we chose Aeon Throne as our chosen path to start with yeah. for a lot of reasons, yeah. you know, and, and one of the major reasons is that, you know, we brand ourselves as Southern Tom Foley, right? We're from yeah. the South and everything. Yeah. But we, we wanted to kind of establish that while we are from the South, yeah. we are, we are here to punch Nazis in the face <laughs> and that's what we're going to do, you know? And right. like, right. and it was such a good opportunity for us to like dig in, kind of flex some of that as Southerners to, sh- to, to give maybe a different perspective on some people from the South. And like, that's something that, that is so, amazing about this medium yeah. is that is that we get to sure. to do that you know and, and as players we get to say something so it's not just the writers who are kind of setting this up it's really how the players interact with it right okay because the game is dead until it hits your table right mm-hmm. like right. I, can, yeah. I can write a 64 page adventure but until it hits your table and you play it it's just words on paper man yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. you're going to bring it to life, and you're going to change it, and you're going to make it fit the six people at your table, and that's exactly the way it should be. Like every adventure ever written should be thought of as a template, as a working draft, until mm. you people run it at your table. And I'm glad that you you talked about the South because the South is not a monolith, right? Right. You cannot treat all these people the same, and and it, it's a complex culture with complex people. And you guys are in Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, based out of Mississippi, yeah, you and, know, and Mississippians are a complex people, and you know, it, it, one of you is from Louis, from New Orleans, or that's where you live now, and New Orleans right. is a complex place. Very like the more yes. we zero in, the more it's it a city up. made by pirates. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned Aslanti, uh, the the Eon Throne. You, you, the reason why you wanted to play it, that 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 AP is very popular. We, mm-hmm. we we have reason to believe, and I, I can't get into details, that that is probably the most popular AP being played. Really? really? Yeah. And that's and if you think about that, uh, not for the reasons you guys picked it, but for purely logistical reasons, it's first level. Mm-hmm. It's only three volumes. Right. Oh gosh. Yes. Right? So for a lot Love of people, it. like, Love I, well, I want to get into this, like, six volume, right, year. Mm-hmm. And how long is it going to take us to play through that? A long time. Um, and... So and and for the simple reason, so the, and also it's in print because the first volume of Dead Sons is out of print. Okay. Oh, wow. So it's, not. so it's so it's just easier for people to get. It's it's they can jump right into it, and it's not as long of a commitment. Well, I also think just from a mechanical perspective, it's one of the great easiest of the adventures to teach a table how to play uh, start fine yeah you know? it's very yeah. self-contained especially book one on the condis and yeah. it's just like it's a nice little mini sandbox yeah and you get a good introduction to a lot of mechanics yeah i yeah. love that adventure that my one of my first editing jobs was editing the second volume of that the prison mm-hmm. yes uh, that eleanor wrote yeah yes. that's right that eleanor wrote that's right and i love that prison that whole like prison break sequence oh yeah man. 
Yeah, we, we, that, was, that got us ten juicy, intense episodes. Yeah, right. The Gulta the goal, the yeah, goal to prison good. sequence is, was a, a, a high point, I think, for us. It was so so much fun. I was editing that like the second week or first week I was hired because when I was hired, they were working on Pathfinder playtest, the Pathfinder second edition playtest, gotcha. and so all of the experienced editors were working on that, and the new guy which was me, <laughs> was on everything else. So I had been in the office like literally for two hours and they plopped uh, the manuscript for War for the Crown, I think volume four or volume five in front of me and said, do your best, right? <laughs> and it, it, it was a total trial by fire. So it was a yeah. great experience though. Yeah, I love that. I love his lining at the Empire film. Yeah, so speaking of um, kind of what exactly do you say that you really like like what are the nuts and bolts of what you do day to day at Paizo for Starfinder yeah. Jason Okay so as a developer and and the 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 assembly line components to how an adventure or how an RPG product gets built were kind of pioneered by TSR right back in like when they decided how how is D&D going to get made and the division between an editor and a developer and a designer kind of got figured out then and we're we've got a lot of roots in that tradition so let's let's take five fear die as a specific example okay can i use that as a specific example sure so first i pitch the idea and i meet with my fellow adventure path team and i pitch what the adventure path is going to be. And I actually had three or four different ideas. And and Rob, to his credit, asked me, which one do you really want to do? And I said, this one. And he said, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then once it gets approved, I write an outline. And this is like a maybe 12 to 20 page document outlining every adventure in the path. Uh with lots of all, all the supporting details and, and, and advice to writers that, that the writers are going to need all the way down to figuring out the covers. Like we figure out what's going to be the cover art before the adventure months before the adventures ever written. Really? Yeah. 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 Because huh. the, art team, the art team wants a lot of time. To find oh, okay. Sure. And all that. Anyway. So then once I outline it, that has to get approved and then I hire writers. So then I go out and I, I hire six adventure writers and we, I have to recruit them, and sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's hard. Uh, it was pretty easy for this one. BJ wrote the first one, uh, BJ Hensley. Um, then Leo Glass, uh, who was an editor uh, at Paizo, wrote the second, and Joe Passini as the, was the third. And then I got a bunch of new people that hadn't done Adventure Path volumes four for volumes four through six. Well, anyway, uh, so you recruit the authors, you get them contracts, and then, you wait. Now I've got a lot of other stuff to do in the meantime, but while I'm waiting for those manuscripts to come in, I'm developing the back matter of extinction of devastation arc. Okay. Okay. So Keely and I, we we swap uh, every AP. So I'm doing the adventures for this AP, and then Keely will do the adventures for the next AP, Horizons of the Vast, and I'll do the back matter on that, and then we'll swap. Well, anyway. So then the manuscripts come in. Now, then that's where the rubber hits the road. Because now I've got like 35,000 word manuscripts, <laughs> six of them, right, <laughs> to develop. Now, the developer's job, you'll hear different people describe it differently. Um, 
Luis Loza, you mm-hmm. probably know, mm-hmm. he, yeah. he describes it as like, like just turning the adventure up a notch. Like we, we, we get it and then we just try to make it a little bit better. If it, okay. if, if we try to make it as, a, we, if we get a 10, we make it an 11. If we get a yeah. 7, make it an 8, right? Like we just right. try to make it a little bit better. Um, Keely, who I work with, describes it as like, we, we take the jewel that you've given us and we put it in the setting. Like, like we polish okay. it and we like put it in the setting, we make it look really great. My job as a developer is on the one hand to catch all the mechanical problems, look over sure. the adventure, make sure that it's a good adventure. Is it balanced? Is it, does it do, does it get, does, does it get us where we need to go right. in terms of XP and treasure and all that stuff? Does it have any major plot holes that we need to fix? Um, but I, I also describe it a lot as a kind of a consistency continuity issue because I've got, for example, a lot of returning characters, recurring characters in Fly Free or Die. This is a big issue in this in this AP. Characters that you meet in Volume Two are still important in Volume Six. I right? think that's yeah. awesome because often that's not the case. You know, yeah. often each adventure kind of feels separate from the single other. serving well, friends, if you and, will. And the reason why is because it's really hard to do. Right. <laughs> because the I hired six different writers, right, and all they right. have in common is the outline. And like mm-hmm. maybe we make a Discord channel where people can share ideas and stuff. But but the person who's writing volume five, they never see the manuscript for volume two. There's no time. Right. So my job is to make sure that Darth Vader talks the same way in issue one as he in movie episode one as he right. does in episode six. Yeah. Right. And and so I'm I'm there to kind of make that continuity. Uh, and and when I pitched Fly for Your Die and this idea that you would meet, for example, in the second volume, you meet this crew of like rival, a, a rival crew with their own starship and they carry cargo and they're basically doing the same kind of jobs you're trying to do. In fact, they're stealing your jobs half the time, right? Mm. And so there's like sort of rival <laughs> They're not villains. They could be if you decide to make them villains, right? They're right. rivals. And yeah. how you treat the rivals determines how they treat you. And maybe you guys get along. Maybe you fight over contracts. Maybe you do both. Maybe you like. Maybe it's 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 knives out when the when the credits are on the line. But then you go home and buy him a beer in the cantina. Like yeah. However you decide to play it, well, that matters as the AP goes on and those characters continue to recur. And at one point, when you're really down on your luck, well, that's when this rival crew shows up, and it's like, okay, well. If you helped us out before, well, we're gonna pay it back, right? Because what goes around comes around. Character matters. Yeah, Being a good person matters. Absolutely, I love that. I love yeah. that. Like a, a consequences of choices is, is great. But, but if you stab them in the back before, well, then they're just gonna point and laugh at your hard hard luck now, right? <laughs> right, they, right. You can try to take advantage of that hard luck because why not? That's what you've. That's how you've told them the universe works. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so, I have a question on here that I feel like we've kind of touched on already, but I sure. wanted to maybe expand upon it if we could. And I wanted to ask, what do you think Starfinder brings to the table that's unique to the TTRPG world? And like I said, you kind of touched on this a little bit yeah. with its diversity. Is there anything yeah. else? Because I think there's a lot of things that are really unique about Starfinder, but what well, do you think? There, there are. It's interesting because when you think about the space fantasy RPG genre, Right. Well, what are the space fantasy games? Well, there's Star Wars. I think that qualifies. Right. Yeah, Star yeah. Wars. 
I mean, they're space wizards, right? Mm-hmm. But and there there are some old school games, right? Which I don't even like, know about. Yeah, yeah which right, are like right. way out of my wheelhouse. But, but really, there's not a lot. Like there's there's more space games. Like there's a lot of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those are all like intellectual properties. They're big brands like Star Trek or the Alien RPG or Cyberpunk or something. Yeah, like that, and, yeah. and 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 so Starfighter is kind of uniquely positioned right now in that space fantasy marketplace. Now, there have been other competitors that compete with Starfinder directly, like there's a 5e kind of in 5e in space uh, game. But but Star but they're not backed with the kind of muscle that Paizo can back Starfinder. Right. We, we, yeah. we put out well we put out adventure well I'm I am currently developing Adventure Path Volume 42. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah, that no other game, no other sci-fi fantasy game can compete with that. Well, so, no, I mean that's that's a hundred percent what drew us to Starfinder to 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 begin with because we were five E players, you know, yeah. for a long like when we first got into TTRPGs, as a lot of people do, we started with five E and we played the hell out of it. We like played it till we broke the seams, you know, and then we yeah. got we're like we need something else, and we're yeah. all big sci-fi nerds but we all like our magic and our sci-fi right. you know? oh, yeah, yeah. and I, I started looking at starfinder and i was like y'all this is this is what we're gonna do and that's where we went and we haven't looked back i mean starfinder is easily southern tom fuller's favorite game you know, you know? before the show you were talking about how you guys do like a homebrew game right mm-hmm. like i think there's a there's a lot of people i think that use starfinder to do their homebrew stuff but we we've sold tens of thousands of copies of the hard of the the core rule book right so we know there's a ton of people out there that have the game it's hard to adapt the star wars rpg to an original setting like that that game i wouldn't even want to you wouldn't (laughs) want to exactly now to be fair uh fantasy flight did put out the genesis system which is the fantasy which is the 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 star wars rpg with the star wars stripped out okay (laughs) And then mm-hmm. a month later, they canceled all their RPG line, right? Like yeah, they, it shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but Paizo's committed to role playing, and and so we we can put out two or three hardbacks for the game a year. You've got multiple alien archives with another one, you know, probably coming out before too long. You've got um, uh, uh, books like the commu- the character operations manual and the starship operations manual that add lots yeah. of punchy rule options for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a setting like the Patch Worlds, but. You know, in their space, but you can ignore all that. It goes, yeah, it goes. It can be anything. I, you know, I, I myself run a homebrew Starfinder game, and I don't use the packed worlds. And I, I, I do like this sort of Dune in space, like nice. Game of Thrones with with with. Uh, I said Dune in space. Dune is already in space. I meant Dune. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like Dune with magic, or it's like Game of Thrones, but in space. And I, yeah. and I use Starfinder for it. And and what other game system could I use? Right. 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 Well, I, I do think it, it fills a particular niche. You know? Yeah, but speaking of of the packed worlds, see, yeah. like you know, we we like to play APs. I think we're all yeah. just busy, and it's a lot easier for us to jump into an AP sure. than it is to homebrew a game. So, one thing we've noticed is that you don't spend a lot of time actually in the packed worlds. Mm. Uh, within these APs. So considering all of these different locations in the packed worlds, you know, near space, beyond, do you guys have any kind of system in place to decide 
we we're gonna showcase this planet or this planet eventually in this AP, or does it just come up when it comes up? You know, um, one of the things that we have talked about as we decide the future of the game, and uh, this is where I'm going to allude to stuff I can't talk about. Okay, we sure. We spent like, the last two months meeting and talking about the future of Starfinder, and I have to tell you, like, you're going to want me back on the show because we are going to blow your mind. Yeah, yeah we'll, great. We, we'll yeah, definitely we'll come bring back, you around for round two. Yeah. <laughs> we have some really phenomenal stuff coming up that we have worked really hard on, and it's incredibly exciting. But let's get back to your question. Um... One of the things that we've realized as we were doing this is that the setting is just really, really big. Yeah. Like Path, Pathfinder's got like one part of one planet. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't even hardly register in a Starfinder game. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, uh, we've got all of these planets and, and so many people with all these incredible diversity and cultures. And, and it's hard actually for us to think up a threat that most of the players we even know will care about because they're like okay so the swarm invades a planet and the player's like we leave <laughs> right, right there's like 500 other planets yeah exactly yeah. they're like okay well that didn't work right uh, so um so yeah it, it is it's really big um but at the same time it has kind of some anchors right like absalom station is still kind mm-hmm. of the center not only for story reasons, but we built a mechanical reason. Yeah, with the Starstone, right. 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 And you're going to see that a lot in Fly For Your Die. Because Fly For Your Die is like you're, you've got the starship and you're just trying to do jobs and get paid, right? So you're buying, you're buying cargo on one planet where they've got a lot of it. And you're taking it somewhere else where they need it and you're trying to sell it high, right? So it's mm-hmm. basic supply and demand economics uh, with the Starfinder in the Starfinder universe. Well... That means that Absalom Station, where everybody can get there in one die six days, is an incredibly important travel commerce hub, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's where you Definitely. go to like get a cheap cargo or sell stuff, right? Maybe they're not gonna use an Absalom Station, but you can sell somebody else who can take it where they need to go. Right. So we spent a lot of time like kind of going back and forth. A lot of this AP is set in the patch worlds, but we also spend the entire volume two is in the Vescarium. Um, mm-hmm. You just made half of our our, our cast like yeah. so happy. Right now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we go to multiple planets in the Vescarium. It's this whole kind of, and at first it seems like it's just like you're just doing jobs, but as you adventure in the Vescarium, you kind of trip into this conspiracy plot line. Nice. It's been a very different, and, and to to the credit to the writer's credit, it's all that was all Leo's idea. Like I wrote I, when I outlined the second volume, it was just like okay. There's a phrase in story writing, what we call picaresque, where it's just kind of like Star Trek, the original series, where like Planet of the Week kind of episodes. Yeah. Like, like yeah. You, go to a, you go to a planet, you, you have a story there, and then you move on to the next planet. And that's kind of what the first outline for volume two was. And Leo was like, well, that's okay, and that's all good and all, but maybe if we could get this thing, some kind of satisfying payoff at the end, it would feel a little bit more like a volume and not just a bunch of scenarios kind of all strung together. And I'm like, you are right. So, yeah. uh, so, and this is one of the beautiful parts of the job, right? Where you get to have this interaction with people and good writers bring things to the table that you had no idea they were going to bring when you hired them. Absolutely. Um, well, anyway, um, so, so you asked like, well, so how do we decide where the thing is going to be set? And that often I think comes down to the pitch. Like mm-hmm. the developer, the lead developers, we've got, we've got a list of ideas of AP ideas that we'd all like to do. And we, we talk about it, we pitch it, and we finally settle on one. 
and and maybe if we've been to a place recently, we decide to avoid it. Like, ah, we've done a little, we did the Islani Empire for a while, so let's leave them alone. Well, but we only did low level Islani, right? So, yeah, right. And that's hard to do because a lot of the Islani is really tough. Like an Islani trooper is like CR3. Well, <laughs> I know when I told them, like, you guys are facing the Islanti Empire and they're like, but we're only level one. They <laughs> <laughs> had to make all these like Islanti Empire rookies and like cadets and stuff, right? right to yes. Yeah. Well, I'm working on a project now, which I cannot announce, but there's high level Islanti Empire in it, right? And, nice. and you can fight the Islanti troopers, the Eon troopers at the level that you should be fighting them at, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, long story, but I hope that answers a little bit. Yes, it does, does. absolutely. And I have one more question, just general Starfinder, and then we're going to really dive into Fly Free or Die, but do you have a favorite class in Starfinder, Jason? Oh, Solarian to Solarian. Absolutely. Now, now, it's funny because also, also, though, I have to say, I have to stick up for the Envoy. Because the the envoy gets a lot of shit because people are like, well, they don't do anything. Like you know, they're they're like they're, they're they're often seen as a less powerful class. But when I start trying to, when I think of the games, uh, the movies and television that have inspired my Starfinder, practically everybody in them are envoys. Right. right. Uh, all the na- yeah, all the big captains and everything. Yeah, exactly. Like and like like look at until we came out with the biohacker class for 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 in com like. Mm-hmm. Most of Serenity were envoys because they didn't have they were you had like a few soldiers, right? But Kaylee, mm-hmm. the engineer, she's not a she's not a mechanic. She doesn't have like an AI or a drone or anything like that. Right. Right. The person. Well, right. the only class we had that would do just a person is the envoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, but I love the Solarians and I love them because um this idea like well we have to make the not jedi class right yeah (laughs) the class definitely not a jedi definitely not a jedi but they have become (laughs) so interesting on their own right they and and also for a guy who like kind of hates the prequels um the the star wars prequels solarians let me rewrite star wars the way i want them to be nice yeah i get to i get to do jedi right and so i i kind of like uh so i I dig the solarians i love the kasatha culture Mm -hmm. yeah very interesting kasatha culture very cool a lot of fun you can tell they put a lot of time and energy into that before i came on board uh so yeah kind of my favorites but but yeah I, 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 i like playing them all yeah, well, as as someone who pl- who plays a mystic who took the Solarian weapon, uh, that oh, yeah. is it's very very Jedi as well oh, in a yeah, different yeah, way. Yeah. It's closer to actual actual Jedi, I think, than even the Solarian, which is honestly more, more has a more unique feel to it does, than does. than a straight up Jedi does. Yeah, yeah, it's really become its own thing, and I think you'll see, we're adding more Solarian options in projects that are coming up. Sweet. Nice. So you're going to see ways to maybe get a Solarian that feels more like that, like Jedi mystic right. kind of way. Maybe somebody who uses their weapons a lot less and relies more on supernatural powers or spells. That's so, awesome. you know, there's some interesting yeah. stuff coming. Up. I, I love that their that their whole balance thing comes from stars rather than just like an ether of the universe. You That's know right. what I mean? Like, That's right. yeah. and, and, you know, the mystics definitely get to play with the universal ether ether or whatever but you know solarians it's like you can just do so much with that flavor of 
I'm about the balance of stars and the, the gravitation versus the push and pull of that. You mechanically, know? the way that you're tracking your um, alignment every round, mm-hmm. your attunements mm-hmm. every round, I yeah. find that kind of that stuff interesting as a player. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. I like tracking my attunement and planning my attunement ahead. Yeah, it gives yeah, you a you little extra granularity of yeah, I, control. I, I, yeah. not, every, not everybody likes that level of complexity in their characters, and I totally get that. Believe me, I totally get it. But but that kind of that kind of shit turns me on. Yeah, yeah heard for that. sure. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to the, to the main event. Yeah, sure. Live Free or Die. This yeah. month marks the debut of the newest adventure path from Starfinder, Fly Free or Die. We are personally really, really excited about it. We know that you're excited about it, Jason. Yeah. So um, can you quickly, you've mentioned the pitch. So yeah. can you give us the, the elevator pitch for Fly Free or Die? So um, this is a story that's not about people saving the galaxy. This is about people who are working class people just trying to like get along day to day in a tough galaxy. Yeah, This is about people like me. And you, like people, <laughs> right. like listeners, like I wanted to write a story about ordinary people placed in really difficult circumstances that tests us. Um, and all they want to do is just be left alone, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like the rest of us. Like I just yeah. live my life, man. Like just get right. out of my get off my grill. And 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 so so they're they're working class characters. Uh, that come into the possession of an unusual starship, and uh, and and they're just trying to pay their bills, basically. But they're chased by like this crime boss, uh, Drow crime boss, uh, who works for the Golden League, and also their former bosses at the company. We made like this evil company, uh, like kind of my whale on Utani, right? Like for all of our alien fans out there. Right. Yeah, uh, and it's called Edge Corp. Chris Sims helped me make it. Um, and Edge Corp, uh, or the company, as people that work for it call it, right? Um, and the company is as lawful evil as you can imagine, right? Like it's mm. and, and it's there to make money off of you, and it does not give a shit about you, right? Yeah, so like a got, normal company. I got to yeah. write exactly I, I <laughs> like every write a, every major capitalist com- uh, I got company. I got to write a scene where you get fired by an AI, and I'm like, man, oh you man. Know? <laughs> so soulless and impersonal, yeah. Oh my god! Exactly. So like I can't, I can't wait for you to run this. Again. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I can't wait either. Yeah. So, so, and then, and in addition to your bad guys, like the the corporate bosses who are after you, and the Golden League crime bosses after you, you've got these rivals that you meet, and all the way, it's just kind of about you just trying to like do your thing, man, and and. Other adventure paths go rags to riches. You start off at like level one, and by the time you hit level twelve, you're you know you're richer than Avdar Corp, and, <laughs> and, and 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 you know you're. But this adventure path is not like that. This adventure path is rags to riches to ruin to revenge. Oh, I love so it. you love s- it. you start off poor, and then you get you you get the the ultimate job right, and 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 you get the job that makes you filthy rich, and then you lose everything. And then you get revenge on the sons of bitches that took you down. I love nice. it. I'm here for it. I'm so yeah. here for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's the AP. Great. So what are you most excited about uh, for the AP? Like what 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 aspect is there anything in particular about it that really just draws you in that you're well, super pumped about? I mean, I have a unique perspective on it because I've been working on it for the last year, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, as a writer, any of you that are out there writers you all know what i'm talking about there comes a time where you work on something for a long time and 
and you've peaked on it. You're like, oh, this is the greatest thing in the universe. And then, and then you start to get a little sick of it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> for a year. Um, but uh, so uh, I don't want to, I, I really, there's a lot of great stuff about this. Um, but, but my perspective on it is different. I, I, I've been really grateful by what the writers of the individual sections have brought to it that I mm. didn't know I was going to get. And they've taken this outline that I gave them. And they've really just, and some of these things I asked them to do were really hard. Like, yeah. to, just to give an example, like the, the, you know, when you're, so like, we've already described this idea that you get, you kind of lose everything at one point. Sure. Future, right. Not every player likes that. Like the idea that you're going to lose everything and you're like stuck on Absalom station with nothing but that laser pistol on your hip and you don't have your ship and you don't have, you don't have anything. Well, that that's a tough pill for a lot of player groups to swallow and and so i had to get a writer who could sell that right uh, yeah and make it fun and then so then you you know you kind of you, you start calling up all your old friends or maybe your old enemies and you try and find out like okay how who can help me out and if you've treated pe- the 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 theme of this adventure path ultimately is about how you treat other people because as we talked about earlier in the show that comes back around, right? Yeah. Right. So when you're down and out on Absalom Station, and and those people that you did good turns for back before when you were riding high, well, now they can come back and they can say, hey, listen, you, you helped me out when it was hard, and now I can help you. And you sort of cobble together and you get this like rusted out junker starship and you, you know, and you and you fly back out after to try to get your stuff back and, and to get revenge on 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 your bad guys. But that that's a tough adventure to write. Like that's not yeah. a normal that's not a normal Starfinder adventure, right? Like where's the dungeon yeah. crawl? Where's the you know mm-hmm. where, where's the funny, wild, crazy ass shenanigans? Like that Yeah. So th- these is so the, I had some pretty tough pitches and um and the writers really came through. And so I've been really gratified and um and impressed and humbled by by the incredible catches that these writers have made to these yeah. really hard pitches that I've been throwing. Gotcha. I like the metaphor. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're gonna, <laughs> for those of you that have been, one of the things we've got a lot of requests for over the years is for the economics of starships. Like how much does it cost to fly my starship every month? Right? Like how do I, how much, how many credits do I have to spend to build a particle beam turret? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I want to, yeah. you know, all that, how much does it cost? All the, all the financial stuff. Well, we get into all that in this AP. So you get a whole subsystem in the first volume for the the mechanics of buying, of finding, buying, and selling, and transporting cargo. And it all uses build points. So you use build points to buy cargo, and then you transport it and you sell it, and that's where your build points come from. Like your starship. Oh, okay. In other APs, when you level up, your starship just gets better. And so this better. replaces that, syst- that's that all, system. Yeah, that's, all, that's all replaced. That's so, cool. So now your your starship only gets better when you get paid. Oh, that adds like a whole like level of motivation to, to do some of these things. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, and, and if you get in a, in a starship battle, you can salvage the enemy starship for some build points, right? That you can love like, that. Love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you slipped right into our, our next question. Good. We were going to ask you about what new mechanics can we expect from the adventure. Yeah. And I think it's mostly going to be Starship focused, at least in the early stages. There, there is a lot of Starship stuff. Now, now the new mechanics are, yes, are the, 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 
the trade system, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's got everything. It's also got some story hooks built in there. Like there's kind of like a random job table, right? So, okay. so to help build, the idea was, was like, okay, a good job should also be an adventure. Like you should right. have a story. So like a, maybe a one session, we buy this, we, we pick up the cargo, we transport it, we sell it. I forgot to find, we have to find the cargo first. We find it, we buy it, we transport it, we sell it. And at all of the stages, something interesting could happen, right? Cool. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of that. And we, we, illustri- and we also built in a bunch of side jobs. So I, this is the first AP where you're going to see little mini adventures in the back. Yeah, because uh, I don't think in any of the Starfinder adventures that I've read that there is much side quest happening. You know, gonna, it all's pretty streamlined. You know, get them in here. So, yeah. so every volume, I think, except for the last one, every volume's got two or three of these side jobs, which are like two-page spreads, right? In the in the adventure path, so you'll get like an NPC or a map, and and some encounters uh, that the GM can expand if they want to, uh, and they're just kind of like little little side quests that are there awesome. for you. And and we don't we can't we don't have room to give you all the details on it, right? But we give you enough that the GM has a skeleton to work with, and can yeah. expound upon that themselves if exactly. they want to. Exactly, yeah. well, and relate and it to the person, the players at their. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, can you can right. use that to tie in backstory things that's if you right. want, like all and, kind of stuff. And like they're that. they're all optional. Like you don't need to do any of them. But but if you're sh- but let's say that you know you your players start falling behind an XP or or you don't have enough build points to get in that starship battle, then the GM knows that the players are falling behind, so then they just do a quick side job or something. And get it, kind of get them caught up. Awesome. So, uh, with Fly for Your Die being such a starship focused yeah. AP, um, can we expect a lot more starship combat, or is it really more about the focus of the personality of the ship and upgrading the ship, or is it a little bit of both? Well, I'll tell you, I got a lot of mileage out of the Starship Operations Manual for this AP, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's not. It's not all combat. Like this, there's a starship chase. Uh, yeah, system yeah. Okay. in Starship yeah. Operations Manual, mm-hmm. and I use the hell out of that. Heck like, yeah. and not all for what you think we use it for. Like, at, at one point, like in Volume Five, you're trying to get onto this space station, right? Like the the you, the person you're after is on the space station. Well, you got to get onto it. Well, it's got like these are turret defense systems, and it's an asteroid field, and you know there's all this. Well, so we run getting onto the station as a starship chase mechanic. That's so cool, right? Yeah. So if you if you succeed in the chase, then you land on the station, and if you fail, then you get driven off by the defenses. And if you barely succeed, then you crash land. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you walk away, but your starship won't fly anymore, right? Right. Yeah. Um, we've got so so. There's a lot of different start. There's some boarding actions because starship operates men who gave us rules for boarding parties, right? So that, yeah, that's kind of what I was ho- was hoping or thinking would be the case that fly free or die is going to just really use all that great stuff that the that the psalm gave us because there's so many things in there that you, that just expands the starship system to to something a little bit more robust. I mean, because yeah. I know some people I, struggle with starship combat and yeah, making yeah. it fun. I I know that we love it, but yeah. it took us some time to wrap our heads around it and get adjusted to it and with the with the starship operations manual it feel like it just finished the yeah. starship world you but know you get, and like what you can do with it 
But to get back to the other part of your question, I do think, though, that a lot of it is just living on the starship. Like, just it, a lot of it does come down to the characters and the interaction and kind of making the starship into a character. You know, when we talk about Firefly or or the Millennium Falcon we all, or the Enterprise, these mm-hmm. ships have a kind of identity of their own, right? right. They have kind yeah. of a personality. Now, sometimes in Starfinder, that becomes literal. Like, you know, like my yeah. old co-worker Liz... She, her character was the Sunrise Maiden for a long time in her ongoing Starfinder game, where she was playing this. She was playing the Sunrise Maiden with an AI. That was her PC. Yes. Uh, yeah. But but uh, but Firefly doesn't really like that. The starship at the moment, at the way we design it, the the Oliphant is the is the PC starship. We need that mm-hmm. for the Oliphant of John Delay from Pathfinder. Yep. But the okay. the Oliphant doesn't have an AI. Doesn't really have a voice. But it it we're trying to give it a character, right? Now, all we can do is give it, we give it to the GM and the players, and then it's kind of up to them to really bring it to life, right? Sure. Um, but we give them this interesting starship, and it's got a cool history, and it's got some, it's got a, a really great design. Leo Glass just knocked it out of the park on the multi-deck design of the of the starship. Starships in Starfighter kind of bug me because too many, too often they're just like this one great big flat one deck, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, you look at the starship maps on the inside of APs. They're often just kind of rectangular and 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 kind of just or, like a barrel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got this really cool, interesting design. So it's it, it's a little asymmetrical. So it's got a little Star Warsy kind of feel to it. Oh, cool! And it's got like a turret and a bridge deck and a main deck, and there's a car. The cargo bays are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside, and, <laughs> and so it feels very. So it's also uniquely Starfinder in that way. Yeah, and then. We've got lots of encounters that take place on the ship, right? Right. So you're, right. you're you're doing like, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but let's say there's a lot of action on the ship, right? Nice. Yeah. So, nice. So then it starts to feel like more than just a mechanic for us to go from cool thing to cool thing, because just being on the ship is the cool thing. Cool. Yeah. Like shifting gears a little bit, but yeah. l- like within the context of fly free or die. Yeah. Um, one thing that often comes up in discussions around our table is yeah. the early level grind. Oh, um, yeah. We yeah. debate back and forth about the necessity of early levels, especially after being experienced, you know, and you kind of yeah. want to, when you're, you've played a bunch of games and you want to start a new one, you want to jump in at level three where you actually <laughs> get your kit as a class, as it yeah. were. Yeah. And uh, we're curious, as almost all of the APs that come out yeah. start at level one, yeah. what are the types of things that you do or conversations that you have with your team to help make those early levels still feel engaging rather than just a waiting game to get to the quote unquote. First, I'll note that we talk about this exact issue, right? Like this is not, you are, you you would see a lot of nodding heads if you were in. (laughs) Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, But, but there's also a lot of resistance to starting an adventure path at, at third level. I kind of feel like new player, you guys are experienced. You've been playing the game, you know, for a year or two. I don't even know how long uh, you guys have all been going, but quite a while. Yeah. And, uh, and and so we feel like, but a lot of people are new to the game and we feel a little reluctance to start an AP at any level other than one. Now, uh, but let's get back to your question. So my my approach to it on Five Fear Die was a little bit different because I actually really wanted to embrace that low level. Mm-hmm. Because in many ways, what you describe as a grind is exactly the mode of play that I want the campaign to have. Mm-hmm. Like you are working class characters, right? Like you're space truckers. 
it should not be easy and and you should not feel rich like let's be honest in star in starfinder you accumulate credits as you go up in level and it doesn't take too long before the incidental costs of living are you can ignore them like they're they're trivial right like right. you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from you don't have to worry right. about how we're going to pay rent this week because you've got you know you've got gear on you that's worth the price of a small moon yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the the I, so i wanted to kind of that or those early levels are when in many ways the most authentic to the feel of fly free or die Mm-hmm. And then it's later when you start to get really powerful and and you have lots of weapons and class features and you're throwing around higher level spells that I as the developer of the campaign start to feel the theme getting stretched. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for the players yeah. to feel like working class heroes when they're 7th level and throwing around, you know, like, you know, high level abilities or mod, let's go middle level abilities, let's say. Yeah. Um so so I really tried to kind of embrace that space truckers kind of feel for the first few mm-hmm. levels. And I encourage players to to give it a shot and 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 um you know try and identify with the the struggle. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean to get all yeah. masochistic here, but but um life is hard for your characters just like life is hard for us. And Right. And um and, and ultimately, but but at the same time, we try to make it. And we give you a really interesting story. So the mechanics are are simple. You you feel like, well, I don't have all of my cool abilities yet, but I still got a cool story, and I got cool NPCs to interact with. And I'm doing cool shit. So yeah, I maybe I'm only second level, but I'm still doing really cool shit. And, <laughs> and if you can get that, if you can get a good story, so you feel like, well, I'm an I'm I'm an underdog. Right, like I, yeah. I'm punching up. I'm punching up, and that—that's a good feeling. And maybe yeah. we can, maybe we can capture that for the low levels. Well, I mean, I—I'm on the side of this discussion in full agreement with you, okay. Jason. I mean, I, but I'm also the GM, so yeah, like, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, you guys just called your horses. You're gonna get to level three, but we—I want to know who you are as people before you become a stat block. You know now, what, what I mean? And like, what that's, I would that's, like to see, what I would like to see is maybe more rapid advancement through the level through the lower levels right because mm-hmm. um like let's you guys played 5e you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. where you've got like milestone advancement where you do you play for one session you play for four hours and you level up to two right, right? and then you play another couple of sessions and you level up to three that's not how our game works but um but i i have thought and we have been talking a little bit about maybe what we, we've we've thrown options around right. uh Right. Yeah. I think for this particular campaign, the low level struggle is important. It I, is. You know, it and is. that's why I we yeah, put this Adam, question Adam's- here instead of in the general Starfinder because I do think it's it's probably more significant here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Normally, I am of the mindset that I I want to start at level three. I want to start. Uh, I want to be a hero. I want my yeah. cool kit. Yeah. And I yeah. want to start doing cool stuff right away. Yeah. But I will say that your argument specifically <laughs> with Fly for Your Die has convinced me uh, to embrace that low level struggle for well, sure. He, I think that's he, a compelling argument. To give you an example, and we're going to get a little bit in detail here, you spend the first volume of fly for your die as employees of the company. Okay. And so they're they're kind of your corporate bosses. Well, but then by the time when you hit level three, 
now you've got your own shit and you have quit or been fired depending on who you want to talk to, right? (laughs) So that transition that you're talking about from level one to three becomes a milestone for the character. Like I was level one and two when people were telling me what to do, but now I'm level three and I'm my own boss, Right. right? Right. And so that becomes now, and that's that's an important transition. And I feel like we can give it some, we can give the mechanical movement some story and narrative weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean that's uh, you know aside from our discussions that Zach and I often debate about, yeah. one thing that we do agree on is that we try to make every mechanical decision that we're making as players for our characters yeah. have some narrative reason or or legitimacy that I don't just get this cool thing because that's what I get next on the list. It's like, here's the story that drove this character to have this new ability or function or whatever, you know, sometimes that's really hard. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. (laughs) But, But I think that, I think it's a testament to our native desire to tell stories out of everything, right? Like you can give, you can give a kid like three random objects and leave him alone for a half an hour and he'll have a story about these three random objects. Yeah. Right. And, and that's kind of what we do. We get these mechanics and we try to take these mechanics and we make them into a story. We are storytelling creatures. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, how many levels does the AP cover? It goes from one to it, it's 12? A, it, yeah, it's a traditional AP in that sense. It goes from one, you should be 13th by the end. Okay. Um, and you level up right before the final boss fight, so you'll get to use your level. Oh, very powers. nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and it's a great boss fight, too. I can't even tell you about it, but I just... Yeah, I know you can't. I don't but, want you but, to. I don't want anybody yeah, yeah. to spoil it, right? I, 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 I want to play it, you know? It will blow your mind. Because I, when I got the... Because I, I outlined it, right? And I, like, sent it to my author, um, Jessica Catlin. And she's so great. We, we would hire Jessica Catlin probably full-time if we could, but she's got such a great gig. She would never do it. But Jessica wrote me back and she said hey can i do this thing for the boss fight and i'm like holy shit yes example of somebody coming up with a great idea that i would never have thought of. that's awesome right that's that's the beauty of, of pulling in different you know different author authors no, different talent i come from comics, comics background like i studied comics as a professor and i taught comics and comics is a collaborative process you have the mm-hmm. writer and the artist and the editor and the three of them together are doing things that no individual person can do. And I think that really helped prime me for what I'm doing now as a, as a developer. Like it, That's awesome. the challenge of how much to rewrite, like when we get a manuscript and a lot of art, a lot of, you know, this isn't quite what I thought I was gonna get. Do I have to, how much do I have to change it? And some developers are very proud of the fact that they change almost nothing. And other people are very proud of the fact that they change a lot. Yeah. And, 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 but but the truth, the real thing is, is that you have to judge every manuscript separately. And some sure. of them need a lot of work, not because the author didn't give it their best shot, but for whatever reason, it didn't turn out. But other writers know, they know the setting and they know the game mechanics better and they, they can nail all that stuff and you don't have to do that much development work. And every every manuscript is its own beast, right? And some of them are heavy lifts and some of them are light lifts. And I, you learn a lot. Like you, you're constantly learning on this job, and which is great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, 
I know that I'm personally very, very excited for Fly Free or Die. I yep. can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, real quick, what's next for you, Jason? I know that you have a, a podcast out. Do you want to talk about that for just well, a second? I, plug I, do a, I do this Star Trek podcast every week where I play the dumb guy that doesn't know shit. And I ask, <laughs> and I ask smart people uh, to explain the latest episodes to me. But we that's Space Force. Uh, it's, it's part of the Banff podcast uh, channel. Awesome. Uh, and we did we're on our third season right now we did the first we did Picard first we started with Picard and then we did all of the films all 13 Star Trek movies and then we wow. uh, now we're on Discovery so we're on the third season of Discovery right now and it's a great show like I, I, I love Discovery it's been it's, it's, it's gotten better with time but anyway <laughs> um, in, as far as Paizo goes I, I am helping Jason Keeley develop Horizons of the Vast, which is our... That sounds cool as hell. Well, yeah. it, it is our kingmaker in space, right? Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have, we, there's a whole other show we could get into on that, but but it's, we've, we threw this idea around in a lot of different ways. Fans have been asking for kingmaker in space for a long time. We all wanted to do it, but it's got a lot of challenges, how to do it. And we all kind of had our own different ways to do it. Well, Keeley finally cracked it, and he made a pitch on it that that Rob approved. So I'll be helping out with all the back matter stuff, right? Doing all the, the adventure toolbox. And we're moving to the adventure toolbox format. If you have been reading P2, Path right. second edition, you saw that adventure pass kind of changed the way that they present stuff in the back. Um, this is kind of inside baseball stuff, but anyway, I'll be, uh, I'll be doing all the adventure toolbox stuff, all the new gear and new spells and new monsters. And that kind of started a little bit with Attack of the Swarm, huh? The, I know at, the, in, at least in the first uh, book, volume of, of that, there's a yeah. whole back section that like, okay, here's all the stuff that you would get as an SDF. Well, what you're talking about is the player's guide. Right. Well, is this is different than the toolbox then? Well, so what we learned, you're thinking, so in the first volume of Attack of the Swarm, Fate of the Fifth, there's like an eight page article that's basically a player's guide for the whole IP and fans loved it. And so we've made that normal now. So you're going to find one of those in five for your die too. Like there's an, there's an edge corp personnel. Oh, great. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that like walks you through it. Welcome to edge corp. Now you're fine oh. on the edge. Right. And like yeah. that, you know, PR <laughs> lingo, uh, but it's also got a company catalog with some stuff in it, like a, you know, gear that you will find useful in the AP. And there's a new um, there's a new archetype and new theme, a um, couple of new themes I think. Um, uh, but so then we'll do that for the rest of the vast as well. We'll, we'll have a we'll have a player's guide. But in addition, we'll also be fleshing out the other planets in the system. So like it's in the Waydana system, right? So it's like Waydana one through Waydana six, and I think the players land on Waydana four. So I've got I've hired a bunch of authors to help me kind of flesh out all those planets and create like ecology aliens that live on all of them and, oh, and so, so it's going to be you won't visit all these planets as part of the ap but if you ever want to sandbox it we're going to give you all the tools for that so so all those worlds will be fully developed locations and the gm will have like some monsters and some plots to throw at you and, and if this is ever, for horizons right yeah yeah and, yeah, and if Alcat ever comes in and makes a video game out of it, we're going to give them all the content they want, right? That's oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, please. Please. Yeah. I want a Starfinder video game so bad. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, we, <laughs> we have more stuff coming that I can't talk about. I believe the precog playtest has been announced. 
However, I was yeah, going to ask if you could yeah. tell us anything about the precog. Well, it just, it just so no info is available. It's a spellcasting class, um, obviously. Um, Thirsty, Thurston Hillman, who's the owner, right. uh, he, he wrote it. He designed it first. Of course, then it went to uh, Joe Passini, our lead, de- lead designer. And we're all and we're getting feedback on it from playtesters so that we can make it better. But um, he had some really great ideas on it, and um, uh, we haven't really tapped the psychic very much in terms of classes. The, the mystic has a lot of telepathic spells. Right, they've kind of cornered our telepathy zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't tapped this idea of a precog. And I almost wonder if, it, if some of that has to do with the Pathfinder kind of lost omens thing. Like this fact that we're, you know, Pathfinder's big deal has always been like, well, prophecy doesn't work anymore. Prophecy is broken, so you can't mm-hmm. see the future. Well, is that still true in Starfinder? Maybe. But but that created <laughs> some really interesting ideas. And um, and also, uh, we're, we've come up with some really great concepts for how this character class is going to look. We've got a great iconic that I can't wait for the the players to see. Yeah. Um, uh, we we want to expand the cast of the iconics to make them um, more representative of our players. <clears throat> right. We're going to use the precog to do that. Um, so it's really exciting. You'll get the draft pretty soon. Um, yeah, I think it's like next week, even or yeah, maybe two it, weeks it comes yeah. out. But you'll get the draft. Is it, a, is it a wisdom caster? Can can you say that? Are you allowed to tell us if it's a wisdom caster or I not? No, I don't. Know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, uh, I've been kind of heads down, you know. Yeah, fly for your die, but um, I don't. I don't think so. But don't but don't put any money. Yeah, don't 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 quote you on that. Yeah, right, okay, right, right. I got you. Well, Jason, I think we're about at the at the end of our time. I think we've actually run a little over, man. But it's just been so great having you. Well, we've really enjoyed talking to you about all this yeah. stuff. You're the a wealth of, of the, knowledge. The moral of the story is, I do not shut up. Right. <laughs> well, that's great. That that'll that'll lead us to a, a part two of this when we can talk about all the things that you can't talk about. Right. Yeah. Like, um, you know, well, I, I have I have stuff. I'm writing adventure paths that have not been announced. I'm contributing to hardbacks that haven't been announced. So there's a lot. Yeah, uh, and and we're in fact, in fact, I just got tentative approval for my idea, which I have not officially wrote a pitch or an outline for yet, of the adventure path after Horizon. Oh, oh nice. So I have I have a. But I have an elevator pitch for it. I have like a three-sentence elevator pitch, which got approved. So nice, and I can't talk to you about it for like a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll have you back to, to talk about that later. Yeah, for I sure. loved, I, I, I've had a real pleasure today, and, and I would love to come back anytime. You guys are great. Yeah, awesome. uh, Jason Tondro, thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you online? Or oh anything? yeah, find, find me on Twitter uh, at Doctor Comics. Uh, it's all one word: D O C T O R C O M I C S. And and I'm, of course I'm at Paizo, uh, Jason Tondro at Paizo.com. And and I also when you know, when we do like like uh, PaizoCon where like where I talk with you guys, I love to do kind of ask me anything Q 
Q&A threads. I, I did four days worth of PaizoCon. Yeah, right? we we talked to you a lot. We asked yeah. a lot of questions about Fly for your dive bit, in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. Like, interacting with the players is what this game is all about. So, yeah, please, if you reach out to me, if I can help with something or you just want to shoot the shit, yeah, please do. Awesome. Thank you Great. for your time, Jason. Thanks for so real. much for coming on. Jason Tondra, ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, we'll see you.